Welcome to a new boost for your mission, no more boring learning. This is the Brain Bakery Podcast. So today's episode is controversial. It's about pain. <gasps> it is about pain and learning. Is there a relationship between the two? Mm. Many mistakes are made by learning and development professionals with regards to pain and learning. And yeah. that's what we're going to have a look at. Very true. Um, but at the end of this podcast, we have five tips on how to create more impact for our learners. Yes. Jana. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a bit of a suggestive question. <laughs> is there a relationship between pain and learning? Mm, let me think. Yes, there is. <laughs> Very good. So there is a relationship between the two. We've all uh, listened probably to um, episode number six. It's about Corp, David Corp, And he has written down four strategies for learning. And if we just go through them and look at the amount of pain people experience, the amount of discomfort people experience when they go through them, you can actually see a, a nice pattern. Great. Uh, let's start at experimenting. Uh, when you are experimenting with something, you're sort of doing it, testing the waters, as we said. So there's not a lot of pain involved. It's, it's quite safe to do that. Then if you start to do something, like really going into doing, really taking a risk and jumping out there, then it's probably going to hurt. It's scary. It's especially scary in the moments just before you do it. Yeah. Uh, and then when you're doing it, so usually after some time, the, the biggest fear, the biggest pain goes away. Yeah. This is like getting up in front of everybody and presenting something. Yes. Yeah. And before you go up, you, you just want to, I always want to dig a hole in the ground and go deep and end up in Australia yeah. and, and, and never come back. Um, so yeah, so that's the, that part really hurts. Then when you go to reflection, when you yourself think about how did I just do that or what do I know about something, that is also quite safe. That doesn't hurt a lot. It's mostly, you know, drawing conclusions about things you've thought about before or experiences you've had before. Yep. So it's not so painful. However, in that same area is also the feedback area. When somebody walks up to you and says, yo, I got some feedback for you. <laughs> we're, we're usually not expecting lots of compliments. No. We're usually, you know, uh, ah! yeah, and, and put on our mask and, and get our gear out to protect ourselves. So feedback is a part that can really hurt. That if you go to the last bit of David Kolb's learning cycle, you come into theory and usually theory doesn't hurt a lot. No. Usually when you hear a new theory and you don't really engage with it, you just listen to it, you think, mm, yeah, 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 probably right. Or you think, oh yeah, yeah, I already knew that yeah. or something. It doesn't usually go in deep and you go, oh my God, I didn't know that. Oh, that's going to hurt a lot. Yeah. Uh, you can actually present theory that way so that it does you know, create discomfort, but it's kind of hard. Okay. So that means that if you look at those different strategies, mostly getting feedback or criticism <laughs> or negative feedback yeah. or building <laughs> feedback and doing are the most scary bit in the training. And if you ask people, what do you remember most of a training? Yeah. It's the scary bits. It's the, the part where they had to overcome something, where they had a lot of emotions, where they were like... <gasps> Oh, it's scary. Yeah. So if the question is, is there a relationship with them between the amount of learning that happens and the pain that somebody experiences, the answer is yes. However, if I'm learning that the capital of France is Paris, then I'm in theory, then there is no pain involved. No, no unless, unless I've just 
you know, acclaimed on um, in my Instagram account that London is the capital yeah. of France, <laughs> then there would be pain. But, but there would only be pain in the mistake, not in the learning of that fact. So learning facts usually doesn't create pain. But isn't it a natural instinct for trainers, L&Ds, to kind of not want to create this pain? Yes. It, because it's, it's about comfort. Yes. It's almost the opposite, right? Yeah. So. And it's all, very often that people, the trainers even go, whenever I suggest or use the word pain, they go, safety. Yeah. Safety is important. Yeah. We need to create a group safety, psychological safety. Yeah. And the answer is, yes, we need to feel psychologically safe mm. when we want to learn. But that doesn't mean it can't hurt. Yeah. Because we also know that there is no learning when there is too much comfort. And let me tell you some, yeah. some science about that. We've put the graph, uh, there's a really nice graph of that on the website, brainbakery.com at the brain snacks. Uh, and if you search for this episode, you'll see the graph. The graph is actually made by Arthur Bucker. No family, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. Related? I would, I would no. have loved to have been related because it's a very famous model. But anyway, what he did was he researched the relationship between people's willingness to change when they've been going through something yeah. and the level of comfort that they experience. Right. Now, before I go into it, it's important to understand what he means by comfort. Because comfort is that warm, fuzzy feeling that you have when you're sitting on your couch with your chocolate milk. But comfort is also defined by things that you are used to. Like business as usual. Yeah. So that means that let's say that every day when I go to my work and when I travel back, I have a 10 minute, you know, traffic jam, yep. usually 10 minutes. I will not like that bit of my journey, but because I have it every day, it becomes sort of comfortable. I know. You I get know used that. to yeah, it. I'm, yeah. I'm used to it. So I don't come home every day again, yeah. 10 minutes. No, yeah. maybe the first two times, but then after... Uh, after 10 times, I know, I, I take it into account, I know yeah. it's happening, it's fine. It's that dreaded phrase, a phrase, isn't it? it? It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is, I know, yeah. So that sort of becomes comfortable. And then if I have suddenly a, tra a traffic jam of 20 minutes, then I'm upset. And then I'm going to go, wow, is this going to last forever? Am yeah. I going to always have this? So then there's pain. So comfort is defined as warm, fuzzy feelings. It feels nice, I want to keep it this way. But also, I'm used to this. This is business as usual. This is what it is. Yeah. And I know. Yeah. You've normalized it. Yeah. So when people are in their comfort zone, they are usually not learning. Unless it's the capital of France. <laughs> uh, but if we are learning something that happens in most of our education uh, that we do at work like communication, skill sets, that sort of thing, or dealing with angry customers or being a leader, that's kind of scary. So that hurts a little bit. So what Arthur uh, found is that the more comfort there is, the less likely we are willing to change. And that means that if somebody is in their comfort zone around the skills that you want to train them in, you want to improve and you don't take away a little bit of the comfort, the willingness to learn doesn't go up. So they're just, they're just having fun. They're, yeah. not, they're, not, learn, they're not going any further. They're no. just... Oh. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the challenge though, Jana, is that there's so many delegates who go, oh, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. 
But actually, if you've put no pain into it, so we almost justify it, don't yeah. we? We kind of go, oh, well, the delegates said it was great. The yeah. delegates say I don't. Yeah. They're never going to tell you no. that, that it was uncomfortable. Yes. And yeah. in fact, they do. When they say it's uncomfortable, they make it such a negative that the trainer then goes, <gasps> oh, next, Sorry. next time I need to make sure I don't do that. Yes. Yeah. So trainers are scared of getting people out of their comfort zone because... They will judge me at the end. They will give me a seven instead of an eight yeah. <laughs> uh, out of ten. But in the comfort zone, learning doesn't happen. Now, mm-hmm. mind you, I want to make a big remark about this. We want most of our lives, most parts of our lives to be in the comfort zone, mm-hmm. right? I'm not a, an anti-comfort zone no. <laughs> fascist or something. No, <laughs> we want most of our lives to be in the comfort zone. We want our own health to be in the comfort zone. Of course. If you're worried about that you almost can't work on anything else. Yeah. We want our family to be in the comfort yeah. zone. We want our housing. Finances. Finances. Yeah. Health of health. our parents. We want a lot of things in the comfort zone. However, in the comfort zone, learning does not happen. Right. And the only way to get people to be willing to learn is to take away a bit of their comfort. Uh, so that's the unfortunate news <laughs> for all of us in L&D. <laughs> If you leave people in their comfort zone, they're not going to learn. Yeah. And it's difficult to hear that. It's because it's yeah. it means that you're creating. Nobody wants to naturally as human beings. We don't want to create pain. No, that's it's far from it. Yes. But, you know, again, this is a nugget to say, hey, you need to create some. So, I mean, what does that even look like? So we're going to give you five tips on yes. how to do that in the end. Yeah. I just want to. Uh, I can already hear a little bit of the criticism. Uh, I just want to point out that Ryan and Markova, I've put them also on the website, have discovered or have described three zones. So there's the comfort zone, then there's the stretch zone. So then you're no longer in the comfort zone, but you're stretching, you're learning, the learning zone. And if there's too much pain, if it hurts too badly, you're in the panic zone. And I understood you had an example of that. Yes, so there was um, a young lady doing mm. a role play. Yeah. And actually what happened was everyone did it. Everyone, it. It was going super well. And the young lady came up very, very nervous, very kind of like, don't want to do this, but got up. Yeah. Which, you know. She, she did go anyway. Exactly. Yeah. But halfway through the role play, it started to go really, really wrong. Um, and you could see panic. And that was shown physically. You could see the panic. You could hear it. Everything was going wrong. Um, and actually, it's one of the things that I'm really annoyed about was that the trainer mm. did nothing. Ah, so you were not the trainer yourself. You were observing the trainer. Yes, Ooh. correct. Correct. So I was watching and I could see it was just became uncomfortable for everybody. Oh, even the other delegates were like, oh, my gosh, save this girl. Oh, everyone. Mm. And even the trainer was just observing and just kept pushing and kept going. Um it ended with me intervening and, oh, wow. stop, and stopping it because actually I could see very, very clearly, and this is important, is that she was in her panic zone. Yes. So all I think that was happening in her head was just noise. It yes. was just nothing. So there's no learning going on. No. There's nothing going on except for get me out of this. Yes. And then, even then, people are, our delegates, our participants are so kind and polite that they don't go hey you bastard get me out of this i'm stopping this now they're not doing that because you know they're polite and and we've all been trained in the school system where we never talk like that to our teachers so 
even now as adults, we don't go, hey, stop it. Yeah, and yeah. They, well, they don't know how to get out of it because mm. she wasn't going to just go, well, I don't think this is working. I'm going to stop. No. And I think she was looking at the trainer to kind of say, could you could you help me out here? Yeah. Hello, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of drowning. I'm, I'm failing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, so we can actually see when somebody is in the panic zone and we need to prevent that from happening in our trainings. Yes. And... What's important with that, whenever I talk to people also abroad and and, in different countries, two things. We cannot use the panic zone to go, oh, I don't want to hurt people because they might go in the panic zone. Yes. Right? Because that's usually the defense. If I say, well, if there's no pain, there's no learning, they go, no, 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 we don't want to put them in the panic zone. No, I know. But the panic zone is something completely different than the stretch zone. And in the comfort zone, there is no learning. So you need to get them to stretch. So that's number one about the panic zone. Number two, you can see when a delegate or when a participant is in the panic zone. And it looks completely different from the stretch zone. The stretch zone, they might look a little bit fearful. They might be a little bit sweaty. They might go, ooh, the breathing might go a little bit faster. But the panic zone is, they're gone. You can look in their eyes and they're no longer there. Uh, and then if you then continue, you're a bastard. You're, you're not okay. It's, it's, a, it's an offense. I sometimes have discussions with trainers that they go, but it was the same exercise that everybody did. Yes. So <laughs> I wasn't causing the panic zone because the others didn't not go in the fault. panic zone. Yeah. yeah. But you can observe when somebody goes there. And some people have had horrible experience with our colleagues and our professional yeah. uh, people around the world. And they've had horrible role plays. And they go in the panic zone just when you mention it. Great. So, Jana, you're saying stay out of the panic zone. You'll know when somebody's in there. And it's all about the stretch zone. Yes. Great. And we can only get people in the stretch zone if we cause a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of pain, if we allow people to feel completely comfortable in their beanbags with their eight out of 10, then no learning is happening. They will give you a good grade because they're happy because they had a nice uneventful day, but your job is to teach them not to have an eight out of 10. Yes. So having said that, Let's move into those five tips. Mm-hmm. So if you are a trainer and you or a facilitator and you're realizing where you're listening to us like, oh, yeah, maybe a little bit of hurt, a little bit of pain, a little bit of out of the comfort zone is important for people. How do I do that? Right. Let's go for five tips. Okay, let's go with number one. We're going to start with doing. So we mentioned it in episode six. So according to David Kolb. Yes. Doing. Yes. So if you start a training by going, all right, so you people work in this domain. I'm a client. You talk to clients all day. I'm now going to call you. Let's deal with my complaint. Yes. That gets people like, what? No introduction <laughs> round? Straight in. Uh, yeah. So it's straight into something. It should, of course, be something relevant, something they know. But going straight into the doing, that creates a little bit of, <gasps> who's going to go first? Really? Are we doing this? I thought we would have like a warm-up with the learning goals round and introductions and then breaker. go through the program. Nope. Go straight in. Hi, everybody. My name is Shiana. Let's go and do a, do a session where you show me how you do it. I like this one. Number two, get the learners to engage with the most common mistakes that are made. Yes. 
So, so when you're a trainer, especially if you're an internal training inside a company, you know the most made mistakes. And if you're not inside a company, you can ask the company you're working for, okay, what are the most common mistakes? And if you open a training or do something after a break where you go, all right, so your job is to sell this or to have clients say this or to, to resolve problems for clients or whatever, you can say, all right, I have some numbers here. And I have a top five of the most common mistakes that the teams that do the same work as you do make. I want you to guess them. I want you to tell me which ones you think they are. <laughs> yes. So what we do now is have them focus on <gasps> everything that could go wrong. And also questioning themselves like, <gasps> do I make these mistakes? So it's not a nice feeling, yeah. but it's also not too confrontational. It's certainly not the panic zone, but it does have them focus on, ooh, which mistakes are common? And <gasps> I hope I don't make them. Ooh, that's one that I do make. Yeah. But you have them focus on, where can I improve? Yeah, and Jana, those are real and factual. Yes. Which actually then people connect with those yeah, as well. Yeah, they go, oh yeah, they probably know. Great. Number three, um, presenting data and statistics. So kind of benchmarking. So it could be your competitors, it could be a different department, but actually showing people numbers yes. and going, this is where we're at. Yes, especially if you can find numbers where they, that company or that team is not the best. Mm. You can say, okay, so how much do you have? Which, what's your KPI here? What are you scoring? And do you know the benchmark? Yeah. I've had that with one company. They were not so good at selling Wi-Fi at home, but they were very good at selling phones, selling all kinds of things around the phone, but not the home product, so the Wi-Fi at home. Yeah. I didn't know the comp competitors, and I asked them, so how many do you sell a week per, per shop? And they said, well, about three, four. And I said, well, actually, I've, I've just gotten the numbers from the head office, and it's 0.1. Oh, God. <laughs> and they were like, ouch, you know, so that already hurts. Yeah. But they had a big excuse that I had uncovered when I was doing my due diligence and my research. And their big excuse was, nobody wants this product. Right. So I had gone to uh, a friend of mine who works at the competitor, and I asked them, how many do you do per shop per week? And they said, 19. <laughs> So my next question in my quiz was, okay, 0.1. Okay, that's what you do. So your biggest competitor, and of course, I had chosen one that they really hate. Yeah. You usually, when you, when you look around, you, they go, oh, not that one, <laughs> not them. Yeah, so I, I'd find them. So I asked them, how many do you think they sell a week? And because their argument was nobody wants this, they had to go low. So they went like, okay, we're at 0.1 per, per shop per week. They're probably at two, Dude, yeah. yeah, something like that. And I said, oh, no, higher. And they were like, all right, all right, all right, five. Yeah. No, 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 higher. Nine, Yeah. higher. What? And then I was like 19. And yeah. they were like, okay. I was almost finished with the training because this was, you know, training on mindset and they wanted to go, what? So there is a demand and our competitor that we hate most is doing it boom they wanted to go out and I love that you challenged them without it being really horrible and no yeah nasty no you, you just and you got them to work it out themselves yes and it's factual it's not how much do you personally yes. do it's factual as a company yeah, yeah. um number four Bring in customers to yes. actually tell us. This is an interesting one because I think sometimes we go, we know what customers want. We know what they say. Yeah. But actually bring them in. Yeah. So listen to their reviews. Listen to them. Yes. 
So this is something that everybody can do. You can bring in uh, a customer. You can just invite them, especially mm. a loyal one. However, <laughs> the loyal ones are loyal for a reason. Yeah. They do like something. So you do need to tell them before beforehand, we want to hear why you are a loyal customer. We want to hear what you love about us. But we also want you to criticize us. Mm. We also want you to say, but that one thing, okay. guys, if you don't fix that, um, I might walk. Or yeah. that one thing, I take it for granted because the other things are so good. But I hate that part. Yes. Yeah. You can also use reviews. So you can say, okay, everybody select two great reviews yeah. that you're really proud of, of your company, and select one that you really hate. Because you balance it out and you make, you know, you also focus on what could we do to prevent this one from happening. Yeah. Uh, I even know that some companies do something called post-mortem. Okay. That means that when a customer says, I'm no longer going to be your customer, yeah. they ask them in. They oh, say, well. okay, so the customer has died. Of course, he, he hasn't or she hasn't died. But we want to learn from you. You've left us. Would you be willing to donate 15 minutes of your time for a call so that we can learn we take you leaving very serious. It will really help us. Would you do that? Th and many customers do. Mm. I think it takes some courage for a company to yes. do that. I think there's a tendency. It's almost the email thing, isn't it? Where they go, why are you leaving us? Pick one of these boxes. Yeah. No. Yeah. But no. They, they're saying, no, come yeah. in. Yeah. We're, we're, I want to research yes. this. I want to open you up. So it does take somebody who's not related to delivering service to this one. You need somebody from a different department or some people even hire external consultants to do this because they're, they're more easy for them. It's more easy for them to hear the complaint yeah. uh, because if I've done the service, I go, yeah, yeah, but that was a really busy day, right? Yeah. I have my reasons ready. So that's something that... that I would advise for any company. And then, for example, I was working with Amazon once and every Monday mm. they had one complaint oh, okay. of a customer. They just pulled it out and they would all lean in and try to fix that complaint. Nice. That was the opening of the day. So to keep them focused on, whoa, 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 we're here for the customer. Yeah. We're not here for our processes. We're not here for our internal meetings. We're here about the customer. So every time fix one complaint and do it now during the meeting. I like that. I love that. Number five, this one I struggle with a little bit. So I'm going to um, take my time on this one. So this one is about going back to the floor and finding routine things that are done and said. Yes. And attacking those. Ah, there yes. we go. Okay. Yeah. So let me give you an example that will clear it up. I was working with uh, a company who does in childcare, like nursery before children are old enough to go to school. Sometimes parents, when they work, they want to, you know, place Drop their child somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nursery childcare. And uh, that company had called me in and they had said in the Netherlands, because it was a Dutch company, we Dutch parents go to two nurseries to check them out. Where are we going to put our child? So they're comparing. Yeah. So that means that if we get 10 calls and 10 visits to our locations, we should have five people choose us because okay. statistically they go to two. So, you know, they should choose us 50% right. of the time. So, but they said, we only get 37%. Okay. We want to know why. And I said, okay, let me listen. Let me listen to what's happening. So I called the company and I said, hello, my name is Jana. Most people, this happens usually in the Netherlands. When you're pregnant, you already call because you might not have a placement. So right. most calls go like this. Hello, my name is Jana. I'm pregnant. Now, these ladies that are on the phone are dedicated ladies. They love children. They love connecting. But they hear this same sentence with a different name 80 times a day. Yeah on that call center. 
So their response to me literally was, all right, and what is your postcode? Oh, really? <laughs> Straight away. Straight away. Because they know in their process, they need to go to what's the postcode so I can see if I have a place for her. So they weren't doing anything wrong, but... There was no, n- no, no bad intention, nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because they hear every day 80 times, I'm pregnant, they weren't going to go, not even, congratulations, no. may I have your postcode? Let alone... As some of us know, getting a child is not the easiest thing. So they could also go, oh, wow, that is super. Not everybody is given that opportunity in life. That is awesome for you. Congratulations. And then go into that process. So what I did was I asked for the tapes without the the names, so only the voices. And I made a little tape of 20 times a person going, hello, my name is, uh I'm pregnant. And they would go, Okay, could I have your postcode? Hello, my name is Nanak. I'm pregnant. Okay, could I have your postcode? postcode. 20 times in a row. And I I had the 80 ladies in a room listening to it. And they were like, oh my gosh. Oh. We are so dedicated to these people. That's why we want to go immediately to their postcode. Because we want to give them good news. Because we want to help them. But we forget the most important thing. And that's saying congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. So... I'm saying that in any company where there's routine work, sometimes something slips in Mm. that has the best intention, but it's in fact quite negative. If you can find one of those and show that to that company, show that to the people, the delegates, they're going to hurt and they're going to immediately go, okay, okay, stop it. I'm going to congratulate everybody. They immediately know what to do and how to resolve it. They just don't know that that routine was the pitfall that they're in. That makes so much sense because you're absolutely right. When you're in a routine and you do it, it's almost habit. You don't hear it yourself. No, You can't hear what you're saying. No. And, and, and also no customer is going to yeah. say, Excuse me. what the fuck? Aren't you going to congratulate me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to do that. It's just gonna Sorry. This one was the Dutch. Yours, excuse me, was more British. Sorry for our listeners. <laughs> Dutch people are quite blunt. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So. If we start to wrap this up, I Mm. think some of the key stuff that's come out of today's episode is about understanding there are three zones, but you need to get people out of the comfort zone in order for them to learn. Yes. So there is a relationship between that. But use the five tips that we've talked about, utilize them, share them with other people, challenge yourself on these. Yes. And once again, want to say thank you for joining us on this mission for No More Boring Learning. Tune in for our next episode. No More Boring Learning. This was the Brain Bakery Podcast. Want to know more? Follow us on our socials.